Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Story time. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. On June 1, 2017, I was heading to the hiking trails behind my town's local high school with my dog. It was fairly late at night, and I had gone there many times before since I was young, so I wasn't frightened. 
While I was walking my dog, he kept trying to stop and was whimpering, which was strange because he is normally a very brave dog. After walking for about 10 minutes longer, I heard huge branches crashing and breaking. That's when I started to become frightened and decided to turn back. As I walked back, I could tell that something was following me. I was terrified. Suddenly, after a minute of calmness, this creature leapt in front of me across the trail. The creature had long, dark fur and was enormous. It wasn't a bear, it was more like a very muscular, huge wolf. After seeing this, I picked up my dog and sprinted off the trail, never seeing it again. That was easily one of the most terrifying nights of my life. In the summer of 1984, I went tent camping near Mount Hood for a week. I can't be entirely sure, but I believe it was around Zigzag, Oregon. After several days of camping, I was feeling quite grubby, so I decided to head to a shallow creek to take a bath in a small pool. The sun had already set, and the last traces of light were fading, around 8.30 in the evening. That's when I had the distinct feeling that something or someone was watching me. Startled, I glanced up and saw a silhouette in the twilight. It was crouched down by the creek with its hands in the water, as if it were washing them. As I made eye contact with this mysterious figure, I was initially gripped by fear, thinking it might be a bear. My glasses were off at the time, which added to my uncertainty. But then, something strange happened. It was as though I heard a voice in my head, almost as if someone was speaking to me, saying, I'm not gonna hurt you. And you're not gonna hurt me. This unexpected reassurance flooded my thoughts. I quickly reached for my nearby glasses to get a better look. However, when I turned back, the figure had vanished into the bushes. I recall the creature as being dark brown, covered in four half-inch hair all over its body. I didn't see anything in its hands, it appeared to be in the midst of what I could only describe as cleaning itself. Washing its hands. When asked about the message I received, all I can say is that the answer seemed to form in my mind, a message of peace and understanding. It was as if we both agreed silently that we should part ways and continue on our separate journeys. It happened on a stretch of Highway 6, situated between I-5 and the rugged coastal region. The day was slowly transitioning into evening as my companion and I were driving along the desolate road. The dense foliage seemed to press in on both sides, encroaching upon the highway's edges. We were several hundred yards away when it first caught our attention, an imposing figure suddenly emerged from the wilderness and boldly crossed the road. It moved swiftly and with a purposeful gait, as if it had a destination in mind. My heart began to race as I struggled to make sense of what I was witnessing. As we drew nearer to the point where the figure had crossed, I was struck by a strange realization, the foliage at the roadside was dense and impenetrable, as if no one could have passed through. The figure, which had appeared so large and imposing, had vanished into the thick underbrush. I knew in my gut that this was no ordinary encounter. It wasn't a hiker or a hunter, as there was an unmistakable air of mystery about the figure's appearance. It moved with an intention, as if it was aware of our presence and was deliberately crossing our path. 
I strained my eyes to catch every detail, but all I could discern was a tall, towering form, exceeding six feet in height, and it was unclothed, devoid of any distinguishable attire. The entire encounter was over in seconds, leaving us in stunned silence, driving along the highway with a sense of wonder and disbelief. This enigmatic encounter with the towering, unclothed figure would remain etched in my memory, a moment of sheer perplexity and intrigue. It left me with more questions than answers, wondering about the mysteries that dwell within the depths of the wilderness and the secrets that remain hidden along the highway. I was 11, I was staying up all night, playing video games, when I heard something outside, in the bushes. I was paranoid and the blinds were wide open, so I looked outside and saw reddish, orange eyes. I could also barely make out a face, with a snout. I fell back in fear and heard a howl outside and then footsteps getting further away when I got back up. Two minutes later, it was gone. During my school summer break in 2017, I spent my days lazily lounging at home and watching TV. Bored one day, I decided to go outside to see if I could do anything with my chickens, like feeding them worms and snails. Before I go into more detail, let me explain the area where I live. My home is on the outskirts of the city I reside in. At that time, I had about five to seven chickens, and we hadn't expanded the coop yet, so it was a small pen connecting to two sides of the chicken coop, which was wooden and sturdy. The only ways to get into the coop were through the trapdoor attached to the big door and the three windows. One window was on one side of the door, and the second window was on the other side. The third window was a large one, and all of them had traps connected to them so they could be closed. We had seven acres of woodland that we called the backhaster, and it was a popular habitat for local deer. At that time, there was also a wild boar roaming around, though I wasn't sure how it had gotten there. We had been having troubles with poachers, given the high deer population in the woods. One poacher had even set up a motion-activated trail camera. An old, rusty deer stand had been put on a tree a long time ago, and the tree had grown around it. Beyond our acres of woods, there was a large cornfield owned by our neighbors, and beyond that, there was a forest. I didn't know what the forest was like beyond that field because we'd never been there. So, one day, I went outside to do something with my chickens and brought along a bucket of corn for feeding the deer afterward. When I walked out of my house, I saw a doe sitting in the tall grass. At first, I thought it was sleeping, as its head was down, and it wasn't moving. Being the curious person that I was, I decided to sneak up on the deer to get a picture of it to show my mother when she got home from work. I crept as silently as I could across the yard, which separated me from the deer. I should also mention that we had a clearing with a burn pit filled with cedar branches. When I had cleared the burn pit and was about 10 yards from it, I realized that the deer wasn't asleep, it was dead. It was the most disgusting sight I had ever seen with its intestines completely gone, the flesh shredded, and blood everywhere. It seemed like it had been sitting there for a while, and the stench was unbearable. Strangely, there were no insects around it, making the forest seem unnaturally lifeless. 
As I left the bucket at the beginning of the trail, intending to come back later with my mother to examine the deer, I started to walk back to my house. After taking a few steps, I heard a low, snarling growl that sounded like a wolf, though it seemed distorted, like an old radio. Against my better judgment, I turned my head around and saw what looked like the biggest wolf I had ever seen. It was on all fours, with black, matted fur, a broad face, and a short, snarling muzzle. Its eyes were a dim, deep amber-red-yellow, and its ears resembled those of a Doberman pincher with a cropped effect. Its front legs were long and muscular, and its paws looked more like large hands with long claws. The creature stood up, emitting a sickening popping sound, and it was incredibly tall, towering over me. Despite being about 10 meters away from it, I realized it was significantly taller than me, a 5 foot 4 inch person. It lacked a tail and seemed to tower over me. I was about 5 foot 4 inches at the time, nowhere close to its height. It was so tall that the tip of its ears could almost touch the top of a young cedar tree. The creature let out a loud howl that was more like a roar, and it charged toward me. Fueled by fear and adrenaline, I began to run, clearing my yard and reaching the safety of my house. I slammed and locked all the doors and windows. As I calmed down a bit, I realized that if the creature had wanted to kill me, it could have. What I experienced was not an attack but a bluff charge, a common tactic among many predators in the wild. Although this encounter happened almost two years ago, it still terrifies me to think about it. The deer had disappeared the next day, and ever since that evening, I've been wary of those woods, only venturing in during broad daylight and never without a weapon. Unfortunately, I cannot say that I'm one of those people who have stopped experiencing things after the encounter. Although I had only nightmares for a month after that day in June, nothing really started to happen again until about two months ago. During a night when I was staying up playing on my laptop, I started hearing things moving around on the porch. I turned on the light and saw the shape of something huge disappearing behind the corner of my house. There was also one of the rare times I ventured into the woods after the first encounter. I was helping my mother clear brush from the hunting clearing, going to get the mower and walking the trail to do so. But I heard bipedal footsteps following me off to the side. They stopped whenever I stopped, and I eventually ran out of the woods. I haven't been back since. I asked my late grandmother about the creature I had seen, and she informed me that there was something called the Wolf Head Man that stopped the Kansa tribe from preying on small children who strayed too far from their tents. Later, my history teacher informed me that my house had been built on tribal burial ground, which has since made me wonder if that had anything to do with it. I hadn't heard about the Wolf Head Man before my grandmother told me about it. When I saw that there were several eyewitness reports that were proven to be truthful, it made me feel a lot better about coming out with this information. I had attempted to tell people previously, but everyone either said I was stupid, crazy, or just a liar. One thing's for certain, I am not stupid, I am not crazy, and I am most definitely not a liar. I know what I saw, and what I saw was a dog man. One night, I was out in the woods hunting, around 1 am and found this weirdly mangled deer carcass, near a tree. 
About 1 hour and 50 minutes later, I was walking back to my truck, when I saw that it was shaking violently. So I readied my rifle. I then saw that it was a bear-like creature shaking my truck. It stood up on its hind legs and growled at me, before running off, into the woods. When I got a look at the creature, it had long arms and its claws were around 3 inches long. It had pointed ears, like a German shepherd, muscly shoulders and legs, and a wolf-like snout, with a short, nub tail. On a camping trip with friends in the backwoods of southern Georgia, at my cousin's grandfather's property. Really old site, he didn't maintain it well. There was a large cabin or meeting house, lots of property, a lake and a large wooded area that we liked to explore. There was a river that wound through the woods, and we built huge forts along it. We camped by the shore of the lake, it was low but on the opposite shore a huge ridge rose, with trees on either side. It reminded me of a carriage road. On our first night there, we stayed up until about 1. I needed to use the bathroom so I went to the meeting house, since we slept in tents. It was a wood-paneled, ancient building full of animal heads. Dark, with few working lights. I stepped in, turned on the light and paused. The animal heads at all positioned to be facing the door. Unnerved, I used the restroom, stepped out only to find them looking right at me, on the other side of the room from where they were looking last. I ran out, terrified, then realized I hadn't turned off the light. I looked back, and was about to open the door to shut off the light when through the blinds, I saw a black, menacing figure in the corner of the room. This time the heads had swiveled to face it. Then, of its own accord, the lights shut off. I ran to my tent and zipped myself up. I didn't sleep much that night. The next day we were exploring the woods and discovered two places that, unbeknownst to us, would be the most terrifying places we had ever been later that night. We had built a fort along the river earlier that day, and were following the river up when we came across a peculiar structure. A large triangular fort-like place made of what appeared to be tree roots, it was like a lean-to and was covered on the sides and top like a pyramid, but one side was slightly open like an entrance. Near the structure in an opposite triangle were three very deep holes, we were careful not to step in these. Inside the structure was a triangle-like object on the floor, made of what appeared to be finely whittled wood, very old, and covered in an unrecognizable, hieroglyph-type writing. We chose not to disturb this. But to mark the spot and give us an observation point, we laid logs across a nearby ditch in a Vietnam-style dugout and placed some large sticks with flags tied to them on top, so we could see the colors and know the spot. Then we found the ridge. The ridge started deep in the woods almost parallel to our campsite, then wound to the lake and made up most of the opposite shore. We walked along it for about 15 minutes, and noticed that the path was like a tree tunnel, and the fallen leaves were well trodden, the path flat. Like a carriage trail. All of a sudden, we saw in the middle of the path an RV not just any RV, but an ancient RV from like the 60s like a van, we walked up and inspected it. It was filled with dust and the inside had obviously not seen daylight in years with prominent sun marks on the seats. And yet, the inside was full of large, boxed packages and files. 
I tugged on the handle and tried to enter to my friend's delight. The door gave way and I found a file sitting on the seat. It was very dusty so I slapped it against the dash and the dust fell away to reveal very faded letters. The only non-faded or humidified characters were the large bold printed letters at the top. It read, GA Site 16, Anomalous Behavior Detected, Structures Common, Manifestation Present. Keep high alert level I noticed the boxes and pulled one over, opening the lid. It had a bunch of the finely whittled sticks, a gooey, black substance in a jar, and what appeared to be an etched, polished metal sphere. The note in the box read, Station unsafe, will begin remote monitoring, situation still undefined, no further progress, hole still prevalent. I was very puzzled so I pulled over another paper lying on the seat, it seemed newer than the others, but still old, with a hole running along the edge, the decaying carcass of a bug lying stuck to the paper. I picked it up and read, GA Site 16, Weekly Instruction, Inspect Lake Floor and Direction Bravo, Owner expected to arrive soon, be ready to stow equipment, another structure has appeared 0.6 miles away from your post direction 223. End. I assumed the structures were referring to the wooden site, and that manifestation could refer either to weird occurrences or the black figure I had seen earlier. On our walk back, me and my friends felt like we were being watched, and I turned around to see a black figure dart behind a tree. We began to sprint and I kept seeing it in my periphery. However, later that day we were brainstorming what it might have been, and I realized that the neighbors breeded black labs, and that the figure I saw was probably one of his dogs chasing us. We went fishing that afternoon and I caught a large black eel, slick and eyeless, it had large teeth and tried to snap at my fingers. I threw it back terrified and it went back into the water. I discovered later that eels were not supposed to be living in that lake, and their appearance was unexpected. There was not a species nearby that matched what I had seen. That night we played manhunt and I went deep into the woods and hid with a friend in the dugout we built near the structure. About 10 minutes into hiding, it's about 11.30, we saw a large black figure, about 10 feet in height rise from the structure and start walking slowly towards our dugout. It was a low to the ground dugout with antarians in the front and the back. We sprinted out the back entrance and towards our tents. We turned and saw the creature sprinting after us, catching up quickly. Suddenly, the creature stopped and looked at the ridge like behind it at a very specific spot. It was a spot about 300 yards beyond the RV, suddenly, there was a muzzle flash from the ridge and the creature started getting pelted with rounds of some caliber. It screeched and began sprinting up the ridge, passing the RV in seconds. As it passed, the lights flickered on in the RV and then off again. The creature was beyond view in the darkness, but we heard screams of someone fat along the ridge. We slept inside the meeting house that night and a thunderstorm rolled in. I woke up about 4 am to see the creature standing about 10 yards away from the cabin windows, head obscured. I did a double take and it was gone. That morning, we took some knives and walked to where the screams came from the night before, we could see that the shots had come from what we now realized was the neighbor's property. He stumbled over about 10 o'clock the next day to say that he had shot at the creature, thinking it was gonna go after his dogs. 
He was a fervent conspiracy theorist and thought it was Bigfoot. It had come after him and he went inside his house and hid in his upstairs. Later that day, we saw a fire coming from the ridge and saw that the structure had burned to a crisp. That night, we were sitting in the pickup truck bed and saw the RV turn on and drive off the ridge into the lake. Before it hit the water, the water rose up as if to grab the RV and it was swallowed up. We freaked out, never camped there again. Back in or about 1958 I was 18 years old and on the guided missile cruiser the USS Canberra. We were doing naval exercises in the English Channel about 300 miles off the coast of France. 80 to 150 various naval craft from many different countries were participating in the exercise. I was on watch as a seaman and saw this large grey metallic cigar-shaped craft come towards the ship through my binoculars. It was described as a fast-moving target, according to radar, traveling 5,000 miles per hour. As the craft neared us it slowed down and stopped over us. It was hovering at 35,000 feet, about 15 miles from us. It was as big as a football field. It stayed hovering over us, and when we turned it turned. This went on until my shift ended, for about an hour. The craft was metallic grey with no lights and no features on the skin of the craft. When I was relieved of duty I got some refreshment and came back topside to watch it further. It had just left going east towards Europe. When it first appeared it seemed to have come from the tip of Scotland by way of Norway over the sea. Afterward, I went to the bridge to look at the logbook to see what had been recorded about this incident. Nothing was mentioned about the UFO and the handwriting and ink were identical to both separate listings in the logbook. Very unlikely since the same person and pen would not have made both entries. The next day we pulled into port in England and nothing was ever said about the incident. I was in the Navy from 1956 to 1976. A few years ago, I took my husband to the local emergency room after he complained of severe groin pain. It is a small community hospital here in South Texas. I was directed to the waiting area while the doctor took a look at him. It was around 1 a.m. in the morning and no one else was in the waiting area. So I took a seat to wait until I could go back in and see him. I had been sitting for a while watching the waiting area television when a young woman, wearing a cervical collar, walked in and sat down near me. We smiled at each other. She was telling me that she hoped that she could be seen soon because her neck was bothering her. She picked up a magazine and opened it, but we continued to talk. She told me that she had recently moved to our community from Florida and that she received the neck injury while driving. Another vehicle had broadsided her about a week previous. After a while, a nurse came by, looked over at us, and stopped. While looking at me the nurse asked if there was something wrong. I answered, no, we are just talking. The nurse looked at me as if I was nuts. Then she said, there is no one in here but you and me. I looked over at the young woman smiled back at me, and just slowly vanished. I'm an avid mountain bike rider. Back in July 1995, Sue, my girlfriend at the time, 
and I took a mountain bike camping vacation from California to Moab, Utah. We had set up camp in the middle of the Moab desert. We were alone as far as you could see and you could see across the desert with no obstructions. One night, about an hour into our sleep, we were woken up by something that my brain would not let me accept at the time. We could hear something walking up to our tent and around the general area. We whispered to each other, what the hell is that? The steps were from a two-legged animal. The amount of noise it was making was equivalent to what a large truck would make driving on a crushed rock road. Each time it stepped you could hear it walking towards the tent and with just a few steps it was inches away. At first, we thought maybe it was a person. But no, it's much too big. Maybe a bear? No, it would not be walking with only two legs and with what sounded like long steps. It had to have been at least 600 to 800 pounds. By the noise it was making with each step. We were almost frozen with fear as each move we made impaired our hearing. All we could do was monitor this large creature. The fear and hopelessness we felt were off the charts as we heard it slowly step towards our tent, get to within a foot, and then stay there for 10 to 20 minutes, then walk around the campsite for another 10 minutes, and then it left. We couldn't sleep for hours. It's been 25 years, but I remember it like it was yesterday. We pulled up stakes and left the desert the next day. Before we would sleep at night my girlfriend would question whether I had my Beretta 9mm under my pillow at night. When we camped after that, every night she religiously asked if I had my gun. I remember the next morning we did talk about it. Sue, who was Native American, said a few things about it might be a Sasquatch since her people believed in them. At the time, I was just confused. But in hindsight, what we experienced didn't compute. After discussing it, we pretty much concluded we didn't know what the hell it was. But it was freaking big and we're lucky we are still alive. I was born raised and live in Port Alberni, Vancouver Island, British Columbia. As a child growing up here my grandmother and mother would occasionally tell us stories of individual experiences they had with Sasquatch on their farm back in the 1940s. When it was told to us I always thought they existed among us. I drive a taxi here in Port Alberni and one night in early May 2006 around midnight I was driving back from Sprout Lake with a passenger who was intoxicated but awake in the front passenger seat. We were on the Pacific Rim Highway coming down the hill towards Hector Road when my headlights caught this creature crossing the double line in the road. It was walking kind of hunched over with a hobble to its walk. It had black short fur all over its body with the exception of its face. When the lights of my cab hit his face I noticed it had very wrinkled light colored skin on its face. It didn't look at me so I only saw the side of his face. I noticed it was very skinny with very large slender hands and feet with skinny arms and legs. I figured it was 7 or 8 feet tall. It stood upright but it was hunched over so it's hard to tell. It was trying to get to the other side of the road where there were trees, brush, and a swamp. There were no other vehicles on the road behind me or coming in the other direction. My passenger said to me as we passed the thing, what was that? I said I think that was a Sasquatch. He said, are you kidding me? I said, no, that was a Sasquatch. He didn't say anything else on the rest of the ride. 
I know what I saw and it wasn't human. The way it walked and how thin it was with its large thin hands and feet convinced me it wasn't human or anything I had seen before. I didn't stop when I saw this thing. At the time the Pacific Rim Highway or Highway 4 is a major highway that runs through Port Alberni. There was a bend in the road so I didn't want to stop and look where this thing went as I didn't want to cause a possible accident. Also, it was raining lightly and it was dark so I would find it hard to believe someone would be playing a prank on a dark rainy Saturday night crossing a major highway in a gorilla suit. Most people at the time were in the local pubs or nightclubs at that time on a Saturday night or at home. I have told a few people about my experiences here in Port Alberni and one of the Hupakasoth First Nations people I spoke to about this said it sounds like you saw the old man. She told me a few people over the years, as well as herself on that reserve where I saw it, call it the old man. Well, that's my story. I didn't have any negative feelings about seeing this thing, just surprised. This occurred near New York City in Westchester County, very early on the morning of December 38, 2020. My dad was driving and my mom and I were asleep because it was so late. My dad pulled over and woke us up. He was royally flipping out. We didn't know what was wrong. He pointed to the overpass and all you could see were these intense glowing bright red eyes. At this point, we didn't know what it was so we just started driving again. When we reached the overpass the thing was still on the overpass, so my dad decided to stop. Then the thing swooped down and landed on the hood of our car. This creature landed with such a force it dented the hood. It then proceeded to stand up on the hood and it was 6 to 7 feet tall, black, and had wide bat-like wings. We were all terrified at this point. My dad takes out the phone and calls the New York Highway Patrol. They laugh at him and hang up saying they didn't like prank calls. The creature was just sitting there. I took out my camera and photographed it, with the flash on. The thing then jumped off the car and took off, like it was afraid of the camera flash. When we got to my aunt's we told her and she said there were countless reports of this thing. Then I showed her the picture on my camera and she got really freaked out. I have been doing research over the past couple of weeks and trying to find something that resembles it. At this point, I believe it was a mothman. The crazy thing is that the photo disappeared from my phone a few days later. I had downloaded it on my computer, but that vanished as well. Have you heard of other photos of the mothman vanishing? I was totally freaked out. As I embarked on my solo hike through the pristine winter wilderness, the quiet, untouched snowscape around me was a sight to behold. The crisp, cold air bit at my cheeks, and the untouched snow crunched beneath my size 11.5 hiking boots. I relished the solitude, the beauty of the world blanketed in a pristine layer of white, and the crunch of my footsteps in the snow. Little did I know that this serene experience would soon take a puzzling and eerie turn. I was a seasoned hiker, no stranger to the majesty of the great outdoors, and I often trek these trails in the colder months. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Today, the snow was particularly thick, untouched except for the occasional rabbit track. The sun was descending, casting a soft, golden light on the surrounding firs, their branches laden with the weight of winter's snowfall. As I made my way through the trail, my eyes were drawn to an unusual sight, a set of footprints in the snow, approximately 15 inches long. What perplexed me even more was that they were clearly barefoot. I examined the prints with a growing sense of unease, their size was enormous, far longer than my own size 11 5 boots. I couldn't fathom who would be out here without shoes in these freezing temperatures, and it sent a shiver down my spine. The unsettling discovery of these footprints piqued my curiosity, and I decided to follow them, thinking it might lead to a fellow hiker who needed assistance. As I followed the prints deeper into the forest, I noticed that the once stately fir trees, standing at a towering 15 to 20 feet, had all been broken, their tops bent and pointed off the trail. It was a sight that defied the laws of nature and logic. The trail was covered in a thick layer of snow, but I couldn't help but observe that my own footprints only sank in about 3 to 4 inches. Yet, these bare footprints were far deeper, at least twice as deep into the snow. It was as if the person who made them carried an unimaginable weight. My heart raced as I considered the implications of this eerie discovery. With each step, my unease grew, the cold air that was once refreshing now chilling me to the bone. What could have made these prints, and who was the mysterious, barefoot traveler in this desolate winter landscape? A growing sense of foreboding urged me to retrace my steps and make my way back to safety. As I made my way back along the trail, my gaze remained fixed on those haunting footprints in the snow. The mystery of their origin would linger long after I left the winter woods, a strange and unsettling tale that I would recount to fellow adventurers in search of answers. My story takes place in 1964 near Sanath, Missouri. You may have already heard of the Sanath light but they aren't as well known as other lights. So I will tell you what I have heard about them. It has taken me 53 years to talk about this except to my wife and children and even now I don't know how I feel about it. I guess I need to know if anyone can explain what happened. I grew up near a small town in the boot heel of Missouri and graduated in the spring of 1964. My dad had just bought a 1962 Chevy Impala, cherry red hardtop convertible and I thought it was the sweetest car I had ever seen. This will be important to the story shortly. I grew up with my cousin Bill on my dad's side and my cousin Rudy on my mother's side and Rudy's best friend was Kenneth. We were all bumming around in my dad's new car and we happened to pick up another friend named Mike who was hitchhiking into town. We had no plans so someone suggested we go see the Sanath light. The legend is that you park your car, turn the lights and engine off and you may get to see them. While they are around, you can't get your car started and you can't get near enough to them to actually catch them. A group of college kids are supposed to have made an attempt to find out what they are and according to the stories, 
they surrounded one and closed the circle on it and it just disappeared before they could find out what it was. We decided to go even though Kenneth wasn't too enthused about it. We went down the dirt road next to a field and turned around facing the way we came in. On the other side of the field, there was a drainage ditch full of rainwater. The field past the drainage ditch was completely underwater except for a small island way out in the middle of the field. I'm not sure if that field was a rice field or if it was just flooded from the recent heavy rains. After a while, Kenneth got bored and decided to take a walk. We all figured he would try to sneak up on us and scare us so we all kept watching for him. After another 45 minutes to an hour with no action, we all got pretty bored and decided to leave but Kenneth wasn't back yet. We honked the horn and shouted to him then we listened for an answer. At first, we didn't hear anything but then we heard a very faint voice saying, help me. We finally located the direction and it was coming from the flooded field. I tried to move the car so I could point the headlights in that direction but my car would not start. We all got a little nervous but couldn't think of anything else to do but keep trying. After what had to be 5 minutes of trying I finally got it started and turned the car toward the voice. During all this time we could still hear him calling out to us to help him. The headlights reached the little dry island in the middle of the field and we could actually see Kenneth. There were about a dozen trees on the island and he was sitting on the ground leaning against one of them. Mike stayed in the car while my two cousins and I started to go out there. We realized we would have to walk through the flooded field so we took off our shoes and socks and rolled our pants legs up above our knees. We made it to him and he was just sitting there moaning and sort of delirious and still asking for help. I shined the flashlight on him and he had three scratches across his forehead that were almost dripping blood but mostly just abrasions. We tried to get him to tell us what happened but couldn't get anything out of him. We were really scared by this time and all got the strong feeling of being watched. My cousins were both big boys so they picked him up, one on each side, and carried him back to the car. I followed behind and felt like it was the longest walk I had ever experienced. We got him into the back seat of the car and we decided we needed to get him to town and try to see a doctor. He had a very high fever and his head was hurting terribly. I started driving, and all of a sudden he went absolutely crazy and started kicking the door and window trying to get out of the car. The two guys in back with him couldn't hold him down and he kicked so hard he left his foot imprints in the upholstery on the door. Kenneth was always the most respectful person I've ever known regarding other people's property and he would never have done damage to my dad's new car if he was in his right mind. He finally settled down and we were able to get some information from him. He said he was just walking along the dirt road and the next thing he knew it felt like he was floating or being carried. He woke up and started trying to call us but he didn't know for sure how he got there or how he got the scratches. We got to town and decided we had better clean the mud off us so we pulled into a little drive-in hamburger place. We got out and the three of us started to go inside to clean up and told Kenneth that he should go with us so he could get the mud off himself. The really weird thing is, he had no mud on him and he still had his shoes and socks on. We have no idea how he got out there. To my knowledge, none of us ever spoke about that night with each other. I don't know why we didn't but it just seemed like we didn't really want to know what happened. Kenneth was killed in Vietnam so we may never know what really happened. If he pulled a fast one on us, 
he really did a number on all of us. You've probably heard of Bigfoot, Mothman and the like. Those are the ones who attract all of the cryptid chasers. What you haven't heard of, I bet, is the Bighorn Grove Pine Crawler. Most people haven't heard of Bighorn Grove at all, so that'll tell you how successful it was at reeling people in. I mean, Mothman is a neat idea. Big, red eyes, huge wings, all that cool stuff. And Bigfoot is a big ol' ape. Now that's a load of fun. The pine crawler, he ain't that. The sightings describe him as having shaggy fur covering its head and torso, like one of them bearded collie dogs, but his limbs are hairless, scrawny, and twice the average dude's height, with claws big enough to wrap around trees, and a membrane between the limbs like the one that those flying squirrels have. You see them blurry pictures of Bigfoot walking by a tree or Mothman flying through the air? You wouldn't get that with the pine crawler. According to the stories, he used his freakishly long limbs to climb around the treetops and grab at its prey. But, since our boy is nocturnal, and he lurks at the top of the trees, nobody got any pictures of him. Imagine that, a cryptid without even a blurry image. Now that's just poor. The only real images were some sketches made from the witnesses' descriptions and a picture of the night sky and the treetops, taken by a witness right before it moved away from the camera. Let's talk about the witnesses in question, by the way. The mayor, Oliver Miller, had always been talking about how we needed more tourism in Bighorn Grove. The population of the town was around 2000 in the 70s, and visitors weren't common. Mayor Miller thought that a lot of profit could be made from tourists, but we liked our town the way it was. Small. Quiet. His attempts to attract tourists were known to us, however, so when his son, Michael, as well as his college-aged friends witnessed the pine crawler for the first time in 71, everyone chalked it up to good old Miller seeking visitors. Sightings of the creature from elderly folk, teenagers and drunks piled up over the next decade, none of which were taken seriously, course. In 79, Miller unveiled a statue of the pine crawler, which was ridiculous considering that nobody outside of the town had ever heard of the thing. People passing by the statue took to calling it Ollie, after our dear old mayor. Around the start of the 80s, though, the killing started. A kid staying in his grandparents' cabin for the weekend claimed that his grandpa was carried into the forest while teaching him how to hunt. Two days later, they found the body. His legs were broken, and it appeared that his heart had given out not long after the injury. The mayor tried to insinuate that the pine crawler was responsible to which he received no small amount of backlash. The townsfolk consider themselves a rational lot. They figured that some kind of murderer was roaming the woods. A month later, a car was seen crashed into a tree on the roadside. The cops found the owner, a young woman, much further into the forest, also with her legs broken. The cops were slower to find her than a passing black bear, however, when a man went missing whilst on a camping trip three weeks after that, a huge search party went out into the forest that night. He was found with his legs broken and his head caved in on a rock. He however, was found outside a cabin belonging to one George Anderson. George was a Vietnam veteran, 
and he'd always been a bit colder after coming home, but the few that were close to him would have never suspected him of doing something like this. But, the chief of police was the nephew of the old man that had been killed, the mayor probably saw catching a killer as a way to get back in the people's good graces, and George had at most four friends, so they pinned the deaths on him and he went to jail for the rest of his days. There weren't many sightings of the pine crawler after that. Was only passed around through story. I remember some guys I knew tried to make a short film about it when they were in college, but it got about 50 views on YouTube and they took it down. I returned to Bighorn Grove recently because my dad passed away last week. Got mauled by a bear whilst on a hunting trip, no real way to sugarcoat it. I take some small comfort in the fact that he always joked that it's how he'd want to go out. Still, it's a bad way to go. I've seen the Revenant and backcountry. After the funeral today, Jack invited me to come drink with him. Jack went through Vietnam with my dad, and he's always been like an uncle to me. We shared stories about him and laughed, while his granddaughter, Sarah, rolled her eyes at us. A bear, of all things, I sighed. Listen, kid, Jack said slowly. Kid? I'm 36, I laughed. No, really, kid. You gotta listen to this. I don't think a bear killed your pops. What do you mean, Jack? Ooh, he's gonna show you his conspiracy theories, Sarah teased. Shush, now. This is serious, he snapped. He began to lead me downstairs to his basement. When the light flicked on, I was met with a wall with dozens of pictures pinned to it. Looking at them, I realized that they were pictures of a creature in the trees that fitted the description of the pine crawler. These weren't blurry, either. These looked to be taken with a real high-quality camera. It's real, kid. How long have you been collecting these, Jack? I asked him. Your father and I started gathering proof since George got locked up. We wanted to prove that the pine crawler did this, not him. You're saying that it killed all those people in the 80s? Why'd it stop? The old man thought that instead of driving to town for some food, he'd teach his grandson to hunt. Pine crawler didn't like its prey being taken, decided it'd teach him a lesson. The girl in the car? Thing didn't like the noise, most people know not to drive through the forest at night anyways. The camper? Well, the pine crawler is smarter than your average bear. It saw that search parties were encroaching on its territory after the previous kills, so it snatched the camper and left him outside poor George's house to frame him. Then it stopped, because people don't go near the forest at night now and it can eat all the animals it wants. You've really thought about this, haven't you? And you think it killed my dad? Kid, in the last couple of months, we noticed that it started killing predators recently. Wolves, mountain lions, bears. It's practically clearing the forest of them. I think that's why it killed your father while he was hunting. But why, Jack? Well, kid. I think it wants to make the area safe for its little one. Huh? He opened a box to reveal a large, reddish-brown egg. Jack, how'd you get this? I saw it in a tree this morning. I took a shot at the branch and it fell down. Thing barely got scratched, so I brought it back. As if to demonstrate its durability, he slammed down on it hard with his fist to no effect. 
I'm gonna figure out a way to destroy this egg, so we won't have to be dealing with a pine crawler junior, stated Jack. Now I'm gonna go to bed. It's getting dark out. You can use the spare room. Rest sounds good. Neither of us were exactly sober, and he had just shown me some pretty strong proof of a monster existing. Despite my tiredness, I figured I'd write this down before I fall asleep. That was the plan, anyway, but Sarah just told me she saw some big animal outside. It could just be a bear or something, but I'm worried. I think that the Bighorn Grove Pine Crawler is real. And it wants its egg back. I once went to visit my cousin's place. His friend's two twin brothers, me and him were messing around here and there. It was a woody area and across a certain set of trees there was an abandoned rubber factory a mile or two away from their house so we decided to explore it. We didn't think of going there to experience anything paranormal and that wasn't our intention either. We reached there in like 45 minutes or so, we jump over the fence and there were multiple little sheds built there, maybe they were for the workers, all of them were locked except one. One of our friends encouraged us to go check what was inside but I insisted in not entering it cause I was always kind of uncomfortable about the whole idea of exploring that place. The main building's door was already completely open so I insisted on checking what was in there and everyone agreed. We went inside and the smell was really awful I'm not gonna lie, it was so bad that it felt like that place lacked any oxygen, we could barely breath. We put our shirts on our nose, and it helped with the smell, to a very good extent. After that we went further inside only to see broken, rusted machines, with grease oozing out of them and they were massive in size. I didn't really know how rubber factories worked nor do I know now but it was kind of fascinating to me trying to imagine how that place would have been when it was up and running. As we were looking around, my eyes locked upon a window, or an opening in the wall, I don't know what it was for but there was only one, and through it, I could see the window of the same shed which was not locked, I try to look closely and see a person looking at me right in the eyes. I could see it so clearly, its eyes were all black, like no white layer around the pupil, white face and he was wearing a kind of a suit and his eyes were abnormally wide open with no other expression on his face, the window was a little blurry cause that place was old, and abandoned for like 25 plus years or so but the face was clearly visible, cause it was so close to the window. I freaked out and with my eyes fixated on it I pull my cousin's hand who was right next to me and with my hand I lock his head in the same direction and pointed towards the window without saying anything. He said WTF is that. I said I have no idea, and only then the figure backed off and was gone. We both were creeping out. Our friends come and ask us what happened, we said we wanted to leave immediately and that we would explain later. As we run and head back from the side where we came from, we had to go past the same shed, we didn't look towards it and ran as fast as we could. Our friends lagged behind cause they didn't feel the urgency to do so. Within seconds we were out of the fence again. We were screaming for our folks to run and come back as quick as possible. We waited like 5 minutes until they came back. We asked what took them so long, they said they wanted to check the shed. We freaked out even more, we asked them what was in there, 
One of them said nothing it was just a wooden shed with a broken table and pieces of broken wood and torn cloths were lying around. We told them what had happened and what we saw in that shed, they laughed it out, telling us that it was a good one, but they're not getting scared so easily. My cousin and I tried to convince them but they would joke about it and not believe us. But I and my cousin know that we clear as day saw a figure peeking through the shed's window. I had never experienced anything like that before or after this incident. Don't remember the exact date, but I was visiting my parents around November, 2022. I was in the living room with my father. The only other people in the house were my mother and my old sister. I heard my mother's voice call my name. Clear as day. I went to her room to see what she needed. She looked at me confused when I said I heard her call out my name. I shook it off and told myself I probably just imagined it. However, I get back to the living room and my father asks what did your mother want? I told him she never called me. We looked at each other confused and we just shrugged and moved on with our day. Nothing crazy. And probably not even paranormal but it did leave me feeling a bit uneasy. The clarity of the voice and my father hearing it as well. This story takes place as me and my boyfriend were moving into our new apartment. We were finishing off the long afternoon of moving boxes by putting up posters and decorations to try to make the place feel like home. I sat down on the bed and my cat came to cuddle in my lap. My boyfriend went into the living room to get more nails. While he was in the living room, he saw me walk behind him, except my hair was longer and I was wearing a white shirt that I didn't actually own. At a glance, though, he didn't think anything of it and turned around to ask me a question. Just as he turned around, the figure walked into the opposite hallway. He followed it into the office and nothing was there. He then called my name and went back into our bedroom to find me still sitting with a cat on my lap. Nothing like that has happened since, and though our office did have weird vibes for about two months, we've had an overall very peaceful time at this apartment. It was the night of the Super Bowl and me and all my buddies found my great-grandmother's old Ouija board that was handed down to us. After deciding we were gonna use it we set it all up and tried it a few times and nothing happened. After about 5 minutes of trying they gave up and left the room for a bit, I however did not. I stayed back and tried it one last time to see what would happen. I turn off all the lights again and I begin. To my surprise it worked. I was scared but asked a few things. My friends walked in the room and started laughing thinking I was just screwing with them then I asked if it was friendly. It moved to the moon indicating it was a demon I looked up at my friends and they could see the pure terror in my eyes then they realized I wasn't just messing around. I asked a few more questions until we ended up to the demon saying it wanted to kill me I freaked out and jumped up forgetting to say goodbye. That night I felt very uncomfortable. I went to bed and eventually fell asleep after trying for hours. I awoke around 3.45 am I looked up to see myself on the kitchen table, surrounding me were five candles in the shape of a pentagram. With a steak knife lying beside me. The demon had possessed me to go get the candles light them like a pentagram, 
and get the steak knife lay on the table and then the worst part was I knew the demon I had spoke to earlier did this because I suddenly remembered I forgot to say goodbye to the board. I had a priest pray for me and cleanse my house after this I will never touch a Ouija board ever again. I know this all sounds fake. Even when I read it over I thought f no one's going to believe this. However it is true this did happen but it is your choice to believe it or not. Ever since we moved in our new old house my father bought, I was in fourth grade. It started almost immediately. When I went to sleep, I heard footsteps in the hallway, I heard my father snoring in his room and my sister turning in her bed with metal bed frame in her room. The footsteps always stopped right outside my doorway. Then something started to happen on daytime, I was alone with our family dog in our house, I was always scared shitless and so was our dog. I heard strange bang noises in different rooms and our dog went crazy. It got more worse the more scared I became. During days I would yell in our house that this was my home and whoever it was to go away. But during the night, the entity got closer every night. It didn't stop anymore in front of my doorway. It started to step in my room, then step in front of my bed, then sit on my bed. The final day I was home alone again with our dog. I was shaking in living room couch with a knife, our dog right beside me growling and staring the hallway. Then I heard this loud bang, like a cabinet fell over or something. Our dog went absolutely crazy and I took the kitchen knife, and went screaming how I'm not afraid to search the noises reason. Nothing had fallen. That night, I was like glued to the wall in my bed. I was panicking when I heard the footsteps, they got closer and closer like always. I was shaking and had trouble breathing. The thing sat on my bed next to me, but then, it cruthed over and I felt hot breathing on my neck, my eyes were closed and I thought that this was it. I was going to die. Suddenly, it said my freaking name. Gently and hushingly. I let out the biggest scream ever and jumped up and ran straight to my sister's room hysterically crying. She woke up and asked what happened and I just cried and stuttered that the man said my name. She asked what man and I screamed the man that comes to my room every night. After that some days later my dad hit me and I moved with my mother. I lived there for a few years and moved back to my dad. My sister was living on her own now. I moved in my sister's old room. Even though I was now 14, I was too scared to sleep in my old room. I slept with my door closed but still, every night I heard the same dreadful footsteps in the hallway. Few months went by and I was at my sister's place visiting. Old stuff was brought up and my sister asked me did I remember the man I told her when I was 10. I said that I never forgot and asked why she asked. She told me that on that night when I ran to her room crying and told her sobbing about the man, she acted brave for me but when I told her, her blood run cold. She told me that every freaking night she heard the same footsteps for months. She just thought it was me. When I moved to my mom's apartment, she heard every night those footsteps, wandering on the hallway. That's when she realized it wasn't me. I lived in the house just me and my father for four years. Every time I was alone, didn't matter if it was day or night. I heard it walk around the house, sometimes when I sat on couch watching a movie, my father's door would open behind me and it walked from the room to stand behind my back. 
Sometimes it would put its hand on my shoulder, I think. I would feel it standing behind me and then feel this warm, tinkling sensation on my shoulder at a shape of a palm. The man didn't come to my sister's old room. It would stand in front of the doorway, but never step in the room. It was like the only room in the whole house out of its reach. The man has done something to everyone who has come to our house. Middle of the day, it touched my grandma's shoulder, would yank everyone's feet who had fallen asleep on the couch, would hit walls or just wander around the house. I found it kinda amusing that people who didn't believe in ghosts, would be scared shitless and started to believe after spending some time in our house. Before I moved back to my mom's place at 16 years old, I wasn't scared of it anymore. It didn't hurt me or anything like that. And who knows, maybe it was just checking up on me that I was alright when I was a child. I'm 20 years old now and live in a different city. My dad lives in the house by himself now, but every time I visit him, I just know that the man is still there. If there would be a way to get him from my father's home to my place I would do it. I kinda miss having it around. To give a bit of a background of my friend who I will call Fred in this story he's a strong believer in the paranormal he's told me plenty of stories about ghosts in his old house, ghosts he's seen in the hospital, in the woods, ect. I live in a very very nice neighborhood, everyone knows each other and we're all very friendly, nothing ever happens around here. It was May 2019. The Toronto Raptors just made the finals and I was so excited to finally see a professional Canadian team actually go somewhere in the playoffs. I was so excited that I had to go burn off some energy so I decided I was gonna go do some flips on my trampoline. My friend decided to stand on the deck and just watch me when he all of a sudden says Fred, uh John. Me, yay what's up? I look up and see that he looks scared. I'm not sure of what but I know it's got to be something because he does not get scared easily at all. I see him pointing at my neighbor's yard and I look over and see nothing I ask him what he's pointing at and he says ah oh, there was someone looking at us and they were hiding behind that tree over there. So I go up on the deck to look and I see nothing. I sit there for about 5 minutes and I see nobody so I yell out hello, who's over there? I wait a few seconds and… nothing. Being a teenager with adrenaline rushing through my veins I decided to go look behind the tree. Nothing was there. Now fast forward to 2021 January. My friend that we will call Jill lives in the neighborhood Jill and I was on FaceTime when she jolts her head to look behind her. I ask her what's wrong she said I heard a banging on my front door her parents are out of the province at this time so she's home alone and it's night time. Next thing I know I hear her scream and she says there's a man that's completely black with glowing yellow eyes is outside her window staring at her. I gulp because this is the exact same description my friend gave me of the man that was watching us in 2019. Next thing I know Jill was crying and screaming saying it's in her house now. I grab my bike and rush over. It's about a two minute ride. When I get there she lets me in and says it's gone now, it just disappeared. That's the end of this part fast forward to the summer of 2022. This is a fairly short part. Me and another friend were having a fire let's call this friend Bill. Bill has a sorta of weird background with ghosts and has autism so is scared quite easily. 
He's standing up goofing off when he suddenly looks terrified and says he's seen a massive shadow of a man that looked to be 8 feet tall. I looked around and seen nothing but there was a random cloud of fog in the center of my neighbor's yard strange to say the least. This summer I was getting home late from a movie. As I stepped out of the car I heard a blood-curdling scream coming from the woods near my house, I ran inside and peered out the window to find well. Nothing. To this day I've seen nothing but all my friends have. I'm not sure what this is or if I will ever see it, but if I do I will update this.